But uh, for those who were here last Sunday, I don't have time to recap a whole lot. Uh, you can go on and take a listen if you like online. But we began a series this fall called Fake News. And essentially what fake news is, as you may recall, it's just the deliberate misinformation uh, that is put out by a lot of media outlets today who try to grab the audience's attention, usually with some fake headline or something exaggerated or something that leans either to the right or to the left. It happens in both arenas. But to get your attention and basically to get you to believe whatever narrative they are trying to push. It may have to do with politics, religion, morality, society, whatever it may be, some social issue. But the real danger we saw for the general public of fake news is that it becomes very difficult after a while for the average listener like you and me to begin to discern between what is actually true and what is a lie. And we liken that to what takes place in the realm of the Spirit, which the Word of God clearly reveals to us. We looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in which Paul the Apostle reminded us to be very watchful in order what? In order that Satan might not outwit us, that he might not outmaneuver us, because we are not unaware, Paul says, of his schemes. And while there's no reason in the world why we should be unaware of his schemes, because they are revealed by God in his word, the fact of the matter is a lot of times we are slow to recognize them, and therefore we get caught, we get tripped up, we get frustrated. And the one place that Satan is most successful, of course, the place where all of his strategies begin and they grow is in our thoughts. And what the devil does is he... He uses just small thoughts. I mean, if he came to us with some big lie that was obvious, we would just recognize it, we'd renounce it, we'd just continue to walk in freedom. But he doesn't do that. That word schemes, strategies, thoughts, it has to do with little lies that he comes at us with. It might be about ourselves, our value before God, or something we've done wrong or right. It might be you know, some kind of suspicion about somebody else, their intentions. Whatever it is, he just comes at us with all these little lies that are small enough for us to think that, they're well, they seem pretty reasonable. It seems to make sense on the outside. What we don't realize, he's taken every single little lie and he's networking it together to surround us in order to put the squeeze on us and to suffocate whatever life it is that God intends for us whether that's in our own sense of well-being, understanding who we are as sons and daughters of God, whether it has to do with our marriage, relationships, with uh, uh, finances, our ministry God intends, whatever it is, the enemy comes against us with all these little pot shots that really become tiring. Anybody relate? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about this morning? Well, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul writes these words, For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, though we're human beings, we live in a normal physical world with other people, our battle is not against other people. Neither is our battle just against the ordinary circumstances that are around us. Oftentimes, there's something behind that. He says, for the weapons that God has given us of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not man-made, but they have divine power to destroy to recognize and to destroy those, those arguments that are fashioned against us. You remember the scripture last week we looked at where the Lord promises that no weapon fashioned against you will prosper, which infers that there are weapons, there are strategies that are deliberately put together, systematically put together. And they're not just put together in some general sense where one size fits all. The devil knows you. He really does. In fact, the devil himself may not know you. He's not omniscient. But his demons know you. 
There are demons that are assigned to us like any other kind of spiritual warfare. They know where you were born. They were with you for years. They know your sore spots. They know your insecurities. They know how to get you down. They know how to get you up. They know how to distract you from the Lord. They know the things you bite on. And the only way you can resist that is if you walk in the Spirit, if you allow yourself to submit to God, turn to Him, turn to His Word, allow Him to show you what is going on, and then the authority of that truth and the authority of Jesus and the power He gives to you, then you resist the devil and he flees. Do you know why he flees? He doesn't flee just because, oh, I've been found out and I'm shy. You know, kind of like you open the curtains, oh, I'm naked. That's not why he flees. He flees because the weapons of our warfare are real. And they're mighty through God to the destroying of the enemy's devices. In other words, when you come at the enemy with the weapons that the Lord has given you, when you come at him with the truth of the word of God that is the sword, when you come to him with the Holy Spirit who is brilliant light, he feels that. He feels the sting of that. He knows the pain of that in the spirit realm. And he flees because he knows that he's not greater than that. And Paul goes on to say, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So Paul names those three things, arguments, thoughts, and lofty opinions that the devil fashions together to form strongholds in our lives. And we need to confront those things for what they are. Because we saw last week, the enemy uses those three things to create an ambush for us. And what he does in that ambush is he makes you feel that either there's no way to escape or, well, it's really not that bad. And so we grow used to it. We accommodate the works of darkness in our life that shuts us down in anything that is less than what God has promised for us. And we begin to believe, well, that's just the way life is. A couple of weeks ago, I saw a news story that really illustrates this point, I think. There was a young man in North Carolina who was stopped at a traffic stop, must have been doing something wrong, didn't want to get arrested, so he ran away from the police, ran down to the beach, this is North Carolina, ran down to the beach, jumped in the ocean, and tried to swim away. Here's what happened. Take a look. This guy thought he was being very clever, jumping into the ocean and swimming his way to freedom as he fled police. Big mistake. Look, that's a shark. The pursuit started when Zachary Kingsbury took off running during a traffic stop in Surf City, North Carolina. A police drone followed the 20-year-old suspect as he swam nearly a mile out to sea. He was doing pretty well, too, until this five-foot-long shark showed up. If he's floating, going to be floating in that direction. That's what the Lord is talking about when he says the devil has an ambush for you, that he has schemes against you. What he means is he does everything he can to lure you out of your place of safety, which in this man's uh, uh, situation, of course, was the beach. He wants to lure you out of your security in Christ. He wants to lure you out of the truth of God's word. He wants to lure you away from the presence of God so that you begin to base your, your decisions on how you feel on what's going on around you, what you can seem to explain with the natural, and that's where we get into the problem of rather than come before the Lord and allowing him to show us exactly what's going on, we listen to the enemy's lies who says, oh, the issue is your spouse. Yeah, the issue is your child. The issue is, well, if you just had more money, the issue is this, 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 anything but ourselves. But you see, when you come to the truth of, of God's word, which James says is like a mirror, right? You look into the mirror of God's truth. He says, hey, this is what's going on. Not to condemn us, but to say, 
this is where I need to do some work. This is where you need to change, whatever it may be. This is where I want to set you free. So the enemy tries to lure us into his own territory where we are easy prey. And the way he does that is by capturing us in our thoughts, our arguments. You ever have arguments with yourself? Yeah? Oh, yeah, if I could talk to so-and-so again, I'd give him peace of my mind. Oh, yeah, here's what I would tell them. Oh, yeah, you know, it's just those dumb arguments or lofty opinions. You know, we just think we know so much. We have all these insights, and we're just so far away from the truth. I want to begin this morning's message by reminding us that we have a very real enemy. I know that sounds simple, but, friends, we forget. We have a very real enemy. Peter said this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, everybody here this morning who professes to be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, we believe there is a devil. The problem is we only believe that in kind of a theoretical way, right? We believe that there really is a devil. We just don't happen to believe that he actually impacts my life in any real way. He's real, but you know, I don't want to be this super kind of hyper-spiritual. Oh, it's the devil. Well, a lot of times it is. You know, don't have pity on the guy. He has no pity on you. Even if I'm wrong, I'd rather blame him because it probably has a part to play. Or he'll manipulate anything that he can. The Lord wants you to be aware that he comes at us every single day. Peter goes on the next verse to say, resist him. Well, why would he say resist him if he doesn't bother with you? Because he does bother with you. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I won't get into it this morning, but last week I shared uh, just some very practical ways, everyday ways that the enemy came against me in the previous week. And you know what? Since I shared that that Sunday, I haven't had a single attack all week. I haven't had a bad thought. <clears throat> I'm lying. Do you honestly believe that? <laughs> You're kind of going, yeah, right, right. I mean, don't you love it when preachers stand up here and they all got their lives together? Everything's perfect. Can't relate. The reality is, you know, I understand the enemy's devices. It doesn't mean he doesn't come at me again on Monday. It doesn't mean there's not more thoughts, more accusations, more whatever it may be. Something else Vanessa did wrong. You know, that's my wife in case you're visiting, you know. But when I take it to the Lord, the Lord says, no, it's not her. You're being an idiot. But that's what the Lord does in his presence. You're able to deal with things, nip them in the bud, and move forward. And so he says that we understand that all of the brothers and sisters sitting here in the pews this morning, we all have similar kind of experiences around the world when it comes to the very real battle against the enemy in our mind. So the Bible says there is a literal devil out there that we need to intentionally resist because he prowls around looking for people and churches and homes, everything else, to devour. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? That's what it means to devour. He doesn't just, just destroy you in one foul swoop. He destroys you by devouring you bite by bite, piece by piece, lie after lie, making you believe it's somebody else, something else, some feeling, the case may be, and the Lord says, would you stop and look at what's going on here? One more scripture is Ephesians 6. We know it very well. Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What's he saying? That you not allow those schemes to find a place in you. So there's a very real devil uh, there whose existence should impact the way that we think. And if we don't take action against the things the Lord wants us to see with the armor he's given us, then we're going to suffer the consequences. Paul goes on to say in verse 12, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against people, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against what? The spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, we read this with me, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. How many of us are living in evil days? Right, we always have been, okay, until the Lord comes. And having done all, to stand firm. Now, there are many different strategies the devil uses depending on his target, but there's one particular strategy that I want to focus on this morning, and that is a strategy of accusation. Accusation. In Revelation 12, we're given insight into an event that takes place in the spirit realm, which I believe takes place sometime during the second three-and-a-half period of Daniel's 70th week, or what many people call the seven-year tribulation period. I believe it happens toward the latter part of that. In my opinion, what we're going to read here in a second uh, is happening to Satan in the spirit realm. It actually coincides with the wrath of Antichrist that we will see unleashed in the world, in particular against the church or against those who resist him. Here's the scripture, Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was, uh, he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. That is, the dragon, the devil, and his angels. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Speaking of demons. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Now, when Satan is actually thrown down, he's called by a particular name that describes his primary activity. And we see that, that the angels, that heaven is rejoicing because finally, after all these eons of time where he has just been doing this day after day, there's finally going to be relief and they're finally going to get rid of this evil presence and all that he's done. It's finally coming to an end. And what is that activity? John says he is accusing the people of God relentlessly. And then it goes on to say, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Now, there are differing opinions as to whether or not Satan still has access to heaven. I'm not going to bother arguing about that this morning. I believe there's a finality to what Christ did through his cross. But yet there seems to still be some kind of manifestation there of ultimately the powers of the enemy being destroyed as far as his rule in the last days and upon this earth before the kingdom of Christ is finally set up physically in this world. But whether or not he does uh, still have access to heaven, he does still have access to people's lives. And the way he has access, the scripture says, is through the scheme of accusation. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, the context of that scripture is the disciples have just returned from an excursion of evangelism where they have seen some incredible miracles done in the name of Jesus. And they come back so elated, excited, telling Jesus about all the things that were happening. And they said, Jesus, even the demons were subject to us. And Jesus responds by referring to an episode recorded in Isaiah 14 where he says, Lucifer had lifted himself up against God 
But then God cast Lucifer, the devil, and a third of the angels who rebelled against him. He cast him out of his original place in heaven, while it seems still allowing limited access to heaven that we see in Job chapter 1. And so when the disciples returned excited about their power over the demons, Jesus essentially tells them they should not be surprised. And the reason you should not be surprised is because Jesus is saying, the devil has always been subject to me. That should not surprise you. I have always had power and authority over him. And those who minister in my name, you have that same authority. And then Jesus redirects their excitement by pointing to even greater miracle. He says, you think that's exciting, guys? You want to know what excites me? Because you see this devil stuff, he's already taken care of. This devil stuff, you will have power over him through what I do on the cross. But what's really exciting is your salvation. And he says this, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Casting out demons is wonderful. And friends, may I remind you, there are still demons that need to be cast out, whatever denomination you may come from. The Bible says until Jesus comes again, amen, those who believe in his name, in the name of Jesus, will lay hands upon the sick, will cast out devils, will speak in new tongues. That's still a promise for today. Some people have this notion, well, we have the Bible now, so we don't need miracles anymore. Well, you know what? You can't really believe your Bible and believe you don't need miracles because you won't find that in there. Because the world is just as messed up and even darker than it was in Jesus' day. And if we don't have supernatural power in the people of God, friends, there's a whole lot of hurt going on that, that the Lord wants to minister to that he can if we don't believe that. Anyway, that's another message. But he says, casting out demons, it's great for the temporal, but salvation is forever. Then we come to Revelation chapter 12 again, where Satan is barred from access to heaven once and for all. And that's why I believe, for example... Um, we still have spiritual warfare. It still goes on. We don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear demonic powers. We depend on the Lord's victory through the cross. John said this in 1 John 4. The one who is in you is greater than the one who comes against you or the one who is in the world. So the point is this. Whether or not Satan still has access to God today in heaven, I want us to understand that some people seem to have a problem with the idea because they mistakenly believe that God it can never be in the presence of sin. Well, here's the truth according to Scripture, that in God, there is no sin. In God, there is no darkness. But God is always in the midst of sin. God is always in the midst of darkness, drawing people, saving people, redeeming people, setting people free. You see, God does not have some kind of allergic reaction to sin, to evil. Evil cannot stand in the presence of God. But God himself has no problem. In fact, I forget exactly where the scripture is now. I think it's in Isaiah. But in the Old Testament, it says that the Lord makes darkness his covering. What that means is that the Lord moves into the darkness where the devil thinks he has you, where he's got you trapped in the lie that there's no way out. Nothing's going to change. It's this way forever. God's given up on you. God moves in the midst of all the lies and the darkness and like a canopy. Remember the old Maxwell Smart, the cone of silence for those of us who are old enough? He just kind of moves into you, beside you, puts a little cone around you and begins to have a conversation with you. And he says, shut up, devil. I'm talking to this person right now. And he speaks to you one-on-one -on -one, and you begin to feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit and realize, well, maybe there is hope. Maybe something can change. 
Maybe God really can give me a second chance. Why? Because that's God in the midst of the darkness who's calling you and wooing you and speaking truth in your heart to draw you out of the lie and to set you free again. So the Lord moves in the midst of that, and I'm so glad that he does. And so it seems that Satan still divides his time somewhat between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm doing the one thing that he knows best, which is making accusations about us before God and before other people. We have an example of that here in the book of Job, chapter 1. I'm not going to take time to read the story. Uh, if you haven't uh, read it yourself, I encourage you to pick up a Bible and, and read the story. It's a wonderful story. Uh, but we're told uh, in chapter 1 that there was a time in history past where Satan was just kind of walking around the earth scouting things out. And he comes before God. He's basically looking for someone to trip up. And he comes before God, and God says this to Satan in, in verse 8. He says, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan basically says in verse 11, yeah, well, the only reason Job does that is because everything is going well in his life. And sometimes there's a bit of truth to that, right, in some believers' lives. Everything's wonderful, everything's praise the Lord until something happens, and all of a sudden, all the stuff you've been preaching doesn't seem to work. So Satan kind of uses that line. And Satan says this in verse 11, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And there's the accusation. God, the only reason this man Job so-called loves you, believes in you, follows you, is because of all the things you have given him, not because of who you are. That's one of the reasons why I believe this conversation is recorded in the scriptures for us. Because God looks at people and says, I love them. And they love me. And Satan says, no, they don't love you. There's no such thing as real love. It's just self-interest. The only reason they even hang around you, God, is because they know once in a while they can call on you when things are going wrong and you just kind of right the ship again, but they don't love you for who you are. I also believe it's one of the reasons why God did not just cast Satan into hell when, when Satan first sinned and the angels rebelled and so on. I believe God wants this to play out um, among all of creation, the spirit realm and the natural realm. God wants people to see that there really is such a thing. It really is possible for God to love us and for people to love God with no self-interest. Just love God for who he is. To love him and worship him and serve him with their own free will. Well, that was Satan's accusation against God and Job in the story of Job. When we pick the story up in chapter 1, verse 21, Job has lost everything and everyone that he holds dear. But in his grief, he falls to the ground and he worships God. And this is what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> can you imagine the funeral home business? I believe the word of God. No, put a suit on. Naked I came from the mother's womb. Naked I shall return. Listen to this. The Lord gave. Some of you just sinking in. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. In other words, Job's love for God was the real deal. He genuinely loved God for who he was. Now, Satan still won't accept that, so he goes back to God. He makes a second accusation. He says, okay, God, that's fine. But I tell you this, Job will curse you if you afflict him personally. I mean, you took his wealth, you took his family, all those things outside, and yeah, he's heartbroken, yeah, he's grief-stricken, he still trusts you, but if you attack him physically, things will change. And so God allows Satan to afflict Job physically, and he even uses Job's wife to rub salt into those wounds, uh, wounds rather. In Job chapter 2, verse 9, 
Job's wife says this to him. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? I mean, are you still holding on to this charade? You know, you still have that image, you know, oh, you're still a righteous person, a good person, even all these things. In other words, she was, she was basically saying, Job, you know, I think this is just a show. Like, I, I know you're sincere, but look what you're going through. You've got this disease we have no cure for. We don't even know what it is. You look like you're falling apart. Why don't you just curse God and get it over with? Why don't you just blame God for this and allow God to take you? What I want us to see is that's what Satan thinks Job should do. That's what Satan wants Job to do and think Job will do. And he uses Job's wife as his mouthpiece. Now, please understand, I'm not picking on his wife. This woman lost all her children, too. She lost the farm. She lost the wealth. And now her husband, in that culture of that day, all her identity, all her future hope is in that marriage, in that relationship. It's all gone, so she lost it, too. But in her pain and in her grief, here's the key I want us to understand. She is speaking what the devil is thinking. Do you hear me? She is giving voice to what the devil wants to pierce Job's heart with. She's part of that strategy, even though she means well, she wants the pain to stop, so she says, just curse God and die. She speaks what the devil is thinking. And friends, that's basically what the devil thinks all of us should do when it comes to God. He wants to bring every single one of us to a place in any given situation where we say, God, you've let me down. It's not going my way. You're not doing what I think you should be doing. Thank you, God, but I'll just take it from here. That's basically what it means in our context to curse God and die. You may not curse God. You may, but you may not. But a way that we curse God is we basically turn our back on God and we decide, I'm going to do what I think is best. You've obviously let me down. You obviously don't care about me. You don't love me because if you did, this, 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 this would be the case. But it's not, so I guess you don't. So that's how we curse God. We basically say, I'm on my own. I want to stop here for a moment and consider how Job's wife becomes a mouthpiece for the devil's accusations. And that's what I want to finish with this morning, because that's something that you and I have to all be mindful of, that our words can really add fuel to the fire of what the enemy is doing. For example, you experience a particular difficulty, and some well-meaning person comes along, and rather than really speaking into your life in a way that they know you need to hear, or in a way that when everything is right, you would want them to speak, instead, in their attempt to be sympathetic, they say things to you they shouldn't say, and they basically lead you away from what God is doing and what God wants. Or maybe you've had a, a row with your spouse, and you go to work, you'll always find a sympathetic ear. If you're a girl, you'll always find some women to, to, to chat with. If you're a guy, you'll find some guys around the water cooler. And they may even be your friends and be well-intended, but they will speak things into your life that only further make you angry and, and build a resentment in you, and they become a mouthpiece of the enemy. If someone comes up to you to share about somebody in the church or to share about a ministry in the church or a church leader or somebody, you know, doing whatever the case may be. I mean, you hear it sometimes. You know, it starts off innocently enough. Well, I just don't think that, you know, so-and-so is doing right. Or, or, you know, I don't really get fed under their teaching. I don't really, you know, like the way they communicate or the way they're doing things. I don't like the way this or that's going on. You've got to recognize it for what it is. 
that person is allowing themselves to become a mouthpiece for the accusation of what it is Satan has placed in their heart. The same thing is true in your workplace, right? We all have people in the workplace. Well, maybe not me so much, but we, we happen sometimes, but I'm sure you do as well. And they're just looking for somebody to spread the fire with. And I always say, in any given situation, you have two buckets in your hand. You've got a bucket of water and you've got a bucket of gasoline. And when someone comes to you with a little bit of a flame, you get a choice what you do. You either act in a Christ-like way and you speak truth, you speak hope, you speak life. We'll talk more next time. And you douse that thing right there with a bucket of water and they realize after a while there's no point in going with them because it stops there. It doesn't spread. Or you can have gasoline like everybody else does and you can just keep the fire going. But you need to recognize as children of God who are not ignorant of the enemy's schemes that what you're doing is playing part of demonic strategies. You are being used of the enemy in that given situation. And you see, the issue is not whether you're right or not. The issue is attitude. You see, you can be right with the facts, but your heart can be wrong, right? You can win an argument. You can have, oh yeah, what you say is true. They did this or shouldn't have done or should be, whatever the case may be. But if your heart is not to speak life, is not to redeem, is not to help, to change. And friends, we're all susceptible to that. We all have egos. We all get wounded. We all get upset. But there's got to come a check in our heart. We say, hey, 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 I'm not going to participate. Don't dump your garbage on my lawn. I don't want it. We need to recognize what's going on behind in the spirit realm. And so you enter that conversation, you're fanning the flame. It's the accusation, curse God and die. Don't believe for good. Don't be part of the solution. And when you allow yourself to be a mouthpiece for the devil, you speak his will into existence. You let him use your voice to give voice and life to the accusation that he is trying to lodge in somebody else or lodge in a particular situation to begin to continue to spread his work. Now, you might be asking, how can the devil use me? I'm not possessed. Well, you don't have to be. Job's wife wasn't possessed. Peter wasn't possessed. In Matthew 16, you know the story well, the disciples are all excited about Jesus' growing popularity, and they're really excited because the way he talks and the miracles he does, I mean, he's the, the gathering of people he has around him, they just say, man, it's just a matter of time before we ride in Jerusalem and we just make you Messiah, we just make you King of Israel, everything's going to change, all the prophecies come true. And they're talking like this, and they're excited as you can imagine, and then Jesus kind of interrupts and says, uh, guys, can I tell you something? It's not going to quite happen the way you think. You see, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and there's going to be a parade and a lot of fanfare, but I'm going to get turned over to the religious leaders, and they're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Now, the, the disciples don't hear that part. because They're thinking, oh, yeah, you'll, we all rise from the dead one day. But Jesus says, no, that's going to happen, but they're going to kill me first. And then Peter does something really interesting. He actually takes Jesus aside to correct him. This same Jesus of whom Peter would later say he never spoke anything wrong. Everything he said was true. <laughs> but this one time, and so Peter takes him aside, and he basically says, Jesus, you can't talk that way. That's not going to happen that way. You don't understand what's going on around. You're famous. It's going to happen this way. And what does Jesus say? What's really fascinating is he doesn't say, Peter, what does he say? Satan, Satan, get behind me. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God. You're setting your mind on the things of man. Now, was Peter possessed? You think? No. And some people think he was. The devil came in, so he's possessed, and he lost all faculties, and, ah, you know, we don't read that in the Scripture. 
He wasn't possessed. But in that moment, he let his mouth be used by the devil to speak out loud what the devil wanted to happen. What was the devil saying to Jesus? Don't do it that way. Don't do it God's way. There's an easier way. In fact, if you remember, this is Matthew 16. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is in the wilderness fasting 40 days, at the end of the 40 days, when he's physically at his weakest place, the devil comes and offers different temptations, right? Every one of them, how does Jesus counter the temptations? It is written. It is written. He didn't say anything based on how he felt, anything based on what he saw. The word of God is true. God has said. And the temptations end with the devil recognizing he wasn't going to defeat him. And the scripture says this, and the devil left him until another opportune time. And I have no doubt that there were some opportune times during the three years. But I want to tell you this. At that moment, in that conversation with Peter, that was another opportune time. And what was the devil doing? He saw an opening. He saw somebody willing to be used. He knew how Peter was thinking. He, he got Peter to open his mouth, and then Satan inserted his voice. And he spoke through Peter, saying, Jesus don't do that. This is not what's going to happen. And what does Jesus say? I paraphrase. Peter, don't you speak another word. I know exactly where those words are coming from. I know who's speaking that. You've allowed yourself to be a mouthpiece for the enemy. That's something the Lord's been talking to me about lately. Times that we allow our mouth to add fuel to accusation in a place where the devil is doing his work. Now, the obvious areas, of course, are gossip, you know, criticism, times where we have to always give our opinion on something, whether or not it's true. We just like to hear our voice. You ever have those times where you just feel a check, don't say it? Right? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit just revealing to you, hey, that's not life. Don't speak it. I know it's juicy. I know it's good. I know it'll make you think you sound intelligent. I know everybody's dying to hear what you have to say, but if it's not from the Lord, it's either from the flesh or from the devil, don't speak it. And there have been times I've actually listened to the Holy Spirit. Believe it or not, there have been times. And boy, was I glad. Was I glad. Later on, I'd find out, man, that would have really messed things up or somebody was, else was there, whatever the case may be. Thank you, Lord, for guarding my mouth. And yet also I want us to see in a much more subtle way, we can also be a mouthpiece for the enemy when we try to short-circuit what God is doing in somebody's life, even in the midst of suffering and trial. We mean well, but a lot of times, friends, we speak things that have no regard for the will of God or what God is doing at that moment. We may even have the best of intentions, but we're thinking the way that man thinks and not the way that God thinks. For example, you may have a loved one who is having a real hard time at the job. You know, they're coming home and they're complaining. You know, they're coming home and they're, there's something wrong with the boss. Or, you know, Mike, you know what I'm talking about, Mike Dawson, right? You know, every second day, Carolyn comes home. I can't believe Pastor Paul. He's so hard to work for. And what an idiot, you know, and the stuff he does, you know. And, uh, you know, Mike and I talk. He's my prayer partner. But, so, but you know what I'm talking about. And, 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 and what do we do? You know, we mean well, but we just speak in the flesh so often. We don't consult the Lord. We don't see what the Lord is, what has going on. We just kind of give our advice. 
You know, or maybe somebody's having a struggle in their marriage and, and we, we sympathize for them. Maybe we know them a little better because we're their friends and not as close to the other spouse, the husband or the wife. And so, you know, we listen to this stuff and yes, we empathize and we care about them and say, hey, you know, you deserve better and God doesn't expect this. You know, he doesn't expect you to hold on and God has better things for you. He doesn't, you know, God forbid that we should suffer. You hear what I'm saying this morning? God forbid that we should actually go through a hard time or something. We meet the slightest bit of resistance and there's always some well-meaning believer there saying God would not expect it was through suffering that Jesus learned obedience that he learned the will of the father and walked in that God uses suffering I remember a pastor friend sharing once that his wife was just having a hard time with the job they just seemed to be picking on her just you know people that certain people rubbing her the wrong way and the job itself she'd come home like every second day oh I just I had this I had that and he would say well honey just quit your job you know, even for a while, I've got enough, you know, we make enough on one income, we can, we can handle it for a while, or you can find somewhere else to look, work, you've got a good skill set, you know, I'm sure God has something else for you. And like every second day, you'd say, well, honey, just quit your job, quit your job. And then finally, one day, she turned around, she said, would you stop telling me to quit my job? And so the next day, he was just, you know, in his quiet time, in the presence of the Lord, just reading the scriptures, just listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Lord said, would you stop telling your wife to quit her job? See, the Lord speaks to your wife. I don't want her to quit. I want to keep her there. The enemy wants her to quit because I have work for her to do there. Yeah, it's not easy, but I'm with her, and I've got great things for her to do. You see, he meant well, but the only reason he was telling her to quit every second day was because he was just tired of the complaining. That's all it was. But he didn't have the mind of God. He had the mind of man. The point is simply this. The devil wants to use your mouth and my mouth to give life to his, his accusations. And we have to make a conscious effort to not let him do that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm just going to put a comma there for this morning and pick up next Sunday on a couple of different kinds of accusing thoughts the enemy will use to plant in our minds to control our lives. But I also want to look at the weapons specifically God has given us to counter those attacks and instead be people who are determined to communicate life and faith and hope and actually God can use to bring change in given situations beginning with ourselves. But I'm going to give you some homework this week. Is that okay? How many like homework? Okay, it's not hard, okay, but you will be tested next week. And some of you are just going to stay home. Oh, no, he's going to pick me. I'm staying home. You know, I'll watch, you know, I'll listen online. Here's your homework assignment. I want to give you one simple scripture that I want you to memorize this week. Can you do that? It's from the English Standard Version. We're going to try to memorize it from the same version. Okay, just go online. If you don't have the English Standard, you can pick it up. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Will you stand with me? I'd like to close reading this scripture aloud and together. I'm going to read it slowly. Are you ready? Let's read it together. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. I promise you, if you will memorize that one simple scripture, and I don't mean Saturday night. Oh, we're going to church tomorrow. 
Take time today, determine today, this afternoon, tomorrow at the latest, write it down, carry it with you, memorize it, I promise you, when thoughts start coming to your mind, the Word of God will act like a sieve. And it will help you to discern where those thoughts are coming from. It will help you to take captive the thoughts that are not of the Lord. It will help you to dwell on the things that are of the Lord. And you'll discover, like never before, that life actually begins to happen in you. Depression begins to break away. Darkness, discouragement, lies are exposed. You see, the Word of God says that we are not to take part in the works of darkness. We are to expose them. That's what the Bible says. Take no part in the works of darkness, but rather expose them. And when we give place to the lie, and we promote the lie in various ways, even if we don't tell anybody else, but just by our actions, the devil can tell, he doesn't read your mind. He puts thoughts in your mind and can tell by your actions whether or not you've received those thoughts. But you see, the Lord can read your mind. And he can get ahead of the enemy. He sees the thought, he hears the thought, he says, okay now, Paul, Submit to me. Bring those thoughts, those feelings to me. We're going to talk about them. The dome is going to come down. We're going to have a conversation. Okay, now you know what to do. Now you know where to go. The cone goes up, and now resist the devil. In the power of the truth I've given to you, and he will flee. And you'll stay free. You won't be enchained again by that old yoke of bondage. But you've got to believe, my friends, not fear. You've got to understand and believe there really is a devil. And he has tailor-made strategies against you. I'm going to ask the worship team to, just to play a song as we dismiss. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. Will you come quickly, ministry team? We always want to give opportunity into the service. If you have any need at all, it could be just a need in your body for prayer, relationship, something in your mind you want to share. It could be this morning that you don't know Jesus Christ. You have never submitted your life to Christ. Or, like, uh, like uh, Bernice shared, maybe have gotten away from the Lord. I promise you right now, even as I speak, the devil is here whispering your ear. And he's giving you lots of little reasons, lots of little arguments and opinions as to why you need to ignore the preacher and just get home. I want you to understand that's how practical it is. You need to say, Satan, you've lied to me long enough. I'm tired of the emptiness. I'm tired of settling for what I know is not what God has for me. And wherever I've been, I just say, Lord, I'm coming home. I don't want to waste another moment. I don't want to waste another day. And friends, there's not one of us here who've walked with Jesus who haven't had times that we have to say, Lord, forgive me for drifting. Forgive me for plateauing. Forgive me for living in the flesh, doing it my own way. Lord, I'm just coming home because I want you. I want life. I want life. I'm so tired of religion. I want life. If that's your heart's desire this morning, I'm going to simply pray a simple prayer. And as musicians play, if you need to slip out, you feel free to do so. You are dismissed. But if you just want to take a moment and come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just stepping out of whatever lie the enemy has got me into. I'm just stepping out of that as I walk down this aisle. And Lord, I'm just coming home. I, just, I believe what your word says this morning. And in doing that, I'm just giving the devil a black eye and saying, I've had enough of you. I've had enough living your way. I really believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the ministry team, would you come around a little bit and we can fill the front here too?